everybody, and welcome to WFUV's Pick and Pod podcast. We have a special edition of the podcast today as we're going into the NBA playoffs. We're finally here alongside Knicks reporter Vinny DeBellis and Pete Hudek. I'm Billy Reinhart. As I said, special edition of the podcast. The matchups are finally set. We got the schedules that came out last night. We have some fun matchups. What do you guys think? It's playoff time, man. That's what I wait for every year as a Big NBA fan, but sort of casual regular season fan. I just can't wait for April and then getting into the second round in May. This is the best time of the year for me. I'm just excited that we finally know what the matchups are going to be. It felt like the past few weeks we knew what the teams were going to be. It was just all up in the air of who was going to play who, and I'm really excited to like finally look at the bracket and make my choices for who's going to make it all the way. Yeah, you're right about that. The Western Conference teams have been pretty much set for a little bit now. The Eastern Conference 6-8 through eight, was kind of a little bit of a competition throughout the last couple weeks of the season. Ultimately, the Nets, Magic, and Pistons respectively snuck into the playoffs. But the first thing I want to touch on is Dwayne Wade, obviously the end of an illustrious career last night in Brooklyn. I was fortunate to be there covering the game for us at WFUV Sports. Just an unreal experience. It felt like a playoff game there. The amount of celebrities that were there for Dwayne Wade's last game. He had the whole Banana Boat crew, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul. They were all courtside. Devin Booker was another NBA star who came to see Dwayne Wade's final game. Other celebrities as well, but just an unbelievable experience to be there in person for. The crowd was great. I would say it was probably 60-40 Heat fans. A lot of Heat fans in New York want to see Dwayne Wade's final time. But even the Nets fans that were there, honoring a great, gave him a great send-off and he got a triple-double, 20-point triple-double, uh, so he went out with a bang. Unbelievable experience, though. What was your guys' take on that? He's a legend, man. And, uh, you know, seeing a few highlights from the game yesterday, one takeaway, Melo almost hit a jump shot. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, and yeah. D-Wade's coat, that, that jacket that he had afterwards, those were the two highlights that jumped out to me. But triple-double's pretty, pretty cool as well. Crowd wanted Melo to come out. There was a little bit of a loose ball. He caught it out of bounds. He faked like he was going to go up for the corner three. I miss Melo, man. I want to see Melo back in the league. I'm hoping he gets his chance at kind of a send-off like this because he deserves it. He's been a great player. But it was Dwayne Wade's night, and he he definitely made it a fun night. The Heat ultimately lost to the Nets as the Nets are going off into the playoffs now on a winning streak, a three-game winning streak. But it was all about Dwayne Wade last night, Pete. Wade gets a triple-double. His last assist goes to Udonis Haslam. How fitting. Um, you could make the case. Dwayne Wade is the face of the Miami Heat franchise, and he will be for seemingly the future going forward. And maybe not only the Miami Heat, but maybe the face of Miami sports in general. I know it's between him and Marino for who really represents that city as a sports town. And for me, it was really my first experience around Dwayne Wade in person, and he's just a great guy. I mean, he might have been a little more relaxed given that it's his last game, but just a great guy overall, joking around with the media. In his post-game press conference, I'm not sure if you guys saw the outfit that he had on, but he was wearing some kind of black and gold sequin suit. You know, It's a look. He was saying, though, you can only wear it once, which is 100% true about that, um, but just a great personality overall, great ambassador of the game over the years, and he's someone that's sorely going to be missed. And yeah, D-Wade, if you look back at his career, I know it's so fresh right now, but not a lot of haters of D-Wade, I feel like, from the NBA fans. And, you know, he teamed up with Shaq early on. For some guys, you might have said, oh, that, that's a cop-out, even though it was Shaq coming to Miami and Wade was a young guy there. Then he teams up with LeBron, I guess because Wade was already in Miami. But it seemed like for both of those instances, which were pretty successful, he had the one ring with Shaq and then two with LeBron, a lot of finals appearances, you know, it, it didn't seem like people ever came down on him, and I feel like the overall narrative with Wade was always a positive one and one of the, you know, most beloved guys in the league. 
at that shooting guard position, maybe top three all time, Michael Jordan, Kobe, Dwayne Wade. I don't know if you throw Jerry West in there, but definitely at least top four, I think. I think so. I think if James Harden gets a couple of rings, he's going to be in that discussion as well. But for me, Dwayne Wade's the third best shooting guard of all time. But Vinny, back to your point, just that everyone pretty much liked Dwayne yeah. Wade. I think that goes back to something that Eric Spolster told the media yesterday. He was saying how just in general, as a person and as a basketball player, he's so selfless. He's always giving. He enjoys seeing other people have success. And we saw that when he took on LeBron James and Chris Bosh, bringing on that big three to his city in Miami. He took a back seat just to win a championship. He Last night, he was trying to get Udonis Haslam going. He said, I don't want to score 60 points and take 60 shots like Kobe did. I want to get a triple-double. So that kind of embodies the player he was throughout his career. And he's someone that's definitely going to be missed. But another star, another legendary player had his final game last night, kind of got a little flown under the radar with Dwayne Wade and everything that was going on with him. But Dirk Nowitzki, he had 20-10 and 10 in his final game. And uh, another great, just a, he was kind of the first unicorn, kind of a seven-footer that could step out, shoot the three ball, kind of revolutionize the sport in that way. But another guy, great ambassador for the game, another guy that's going to be missed. And his final bucket was that trademarked, you know, fall away off one foot. It doesn't matter if he has zero vert left. It, it's still getting <laughs> off just because of the release angle. And Dirk, to me, if I think back to his career, it's always going to be that legendary run back. I believe it was 2010 when he took down first the Lakers coming off of three finals appearances, then the young OKC Big Three, and then, of course, the first year in Miami with LeBron and D-Wade. He did it. He led it in his you know, hometown. I don't want to say hometown, but the Mavs were his team his entire career. Never left, and it's, it's just a legacy that I feel is becoming rarer and rarer these days. Yeah, Dirk on that finals team, I mean, he was the last guy to only basically do it as the only all-star on the court. Ever since then, we've had these mega superstar teams dominating the league, and he was really the last guy to do it, and LeBron's kind of uh, choke job uh, of the finals there. But uh, Dirk, another guy who in a football town like Miami is with Dwayne Wade was basically able to become the signature athlete in that area. Yeah, good point in that. I mean, I think that 2011 finals, when you look back, that was one of the most interesting finals that you think about. You mentioned Dirk was really the only star for Dallas, but they had a team of maybe former stars or just a lot of veteran players with high IQs. Jason Kidd was on that team. He wasn't at his peak, but he was still a very good player. Jason Terry was one of the best six men in the league. You had Sean Marion, Karan Butler, I believe, was injured throughout that series, but he was on that team, Tyson Chandler. So they had a good collection of talent and a great coach in Rick Carlisle. Made it all work, and they also faced the Miami Heat team with a ton of pressure on them in that first year. So, um, But a great series to definitely look back on. So now I think it's time to move away from the legends that have retired and look ahead to the future. We got a great NBA playoff slate coming our way for this weekend. Let's start with the Eastern Conference. The Bucks, they were the best team in the NBA all season. Some might point to the Warriors, but the Bucks had the best record. They're going to be matching up with Blake Griffin, who has been injured towards the end of the season, and the Detroit Pistons in the first round. I really don't give the Pistons much of a shot in this one, especially with a banged-up Blake Griffin. I don't think this goes more than five. Yeah, I can see the Pistons maybe pulling out a home game, but I think just how dominant the Bucks have been, especially against good teams in the league, I feel like if, if Griffin's healthy, I keep hearing about how he's expanded his game, and even though he doesn't have the athleticism, he stretched his game out a little bit, become more of a guard. I still think the Bucks are, are too good of a team, and – I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling a sweep, or maybe the Pistons take one at home in this one. 
Yeah, the Bucks are way too good to get beat by the Pistons. Their surrounding of three-point shooters with Giannis is just incredible. Detroit's too much of an old-school bang-it-down-low with Blake and Drummond. It doesn't really fit in today's NBA. You can make the eighth seed in the playoffs in the East, but you're not really going to win any games there. And, one, and from a physical profile, Blake Griffin's probably the Pistons' best matchup to put on Giannis, but then that's going to tire Blake Griffin out. He's not 100%. He might get in foul trouble. And then in terms of Brook Lopez, what makes the Bucks so difficult is the combination of Giannis and Brook Lopez because Giannis just operates within the interior with four shooters around him, and Lopez is pulling the big man, the shot blocker, out of the paint. So Andre Drummond's going to have to probably guard Brook Lopez on the perimeter, and then Giannis will just get one-on-one attacks at the rim over and over again. Not a matchup I like for the Pistons. I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be a quick series. Secondly, you got the Toronto Raptors, who have finished the season pretty strong after adding Marcus Saul and some other pieces to that team. They're going to be matching up with the Orlando Magic, who are in the playoffs for the first time since Dwight Howard was a member of the Magic. So, fun thing for that city to get the team back in the playoffs. Another series, though, that I don't really think is going to go too far. Nikola Vucevic has been great this year. You have Aaron Gordon, you have Jonathan Isaac, some other good pieces, Evan Fournier, DJ Augustine, but... You look at the Toronto Raptors, you got Kawhi Leonard, you got Marcus Saul, Kyle Lowry. I mean, the list goes on. They have a litany of talent. Pascal Siakam's maybe going to be the most improved player in the league, and he just makes their versatility such an issue to contend with. But uh, Toronto Raptors, they have home court. That crowd is raucous in the playoffs. I think they're excited this year. They think they really have a shot to compete for a championship. Moving on from that DeMar DeRozan era, and this is kind of their one chance with Kawhi. I mean, he might leave this offseason. They they said they wanted to go for it this this year, and here we are. They got the Magic in the first round. I think this is a series they take care of rather quickly in four or five games. Yeah, the Raptors have been here before. You know, they've won a lot of first-round playoff series over the last few years. Kawhi, even though he hasn't been there, he's done it all. And the Magic, they've overachieved this year without a doubt. And some talented players that you mentioned there, but not a lot of playoff experience between that group. So I think... There's a bit of a shock that comes in when you start playing in the playoffs. And then to go up against a team as as good as Toronto has been the entire year, I, I think this one's a sweep as well. Yeah, quick sweep for Toronto. The one thing I will be paying attention for is how Kyle Lowry plays because he's been uh, kind of shied away from the light in the playoffs in recent years, him and DeMar DeRozan. That's why they kind of had troubles with the Wizards last year. I just want to see how he plays. I think whether he plays good or not, it won't affect the outcome of these games. I still think the Raptors will sweep them. But whether Kyle Lowry is playing well will affect later in the playoffs how the Toronto Raptors, how far they can go. That's a massive point. Kyle Lowry has underperformed throughout the playoffs over the last couple of years. This year he averaged, I believe, about 14 points, 9 assists a game. A little bit of a different stat line than he's accustomed to with more talent around him, not scoring as much, passing the ball more often. But I'm of the opinion, might be a harsh take, that he's one of the most overrated players in the league. He does not come to play in the playoffs. I think, I mean, I think he's made like four or five straight All-Star games, which even in the East, I don't think he necessarily deserves that, um, especially this year. But what helps him this year is that they have Pascal Siakam. He's averaging 17 a game. He could take the scoring load off of him. Marcus Gasol, they haven't really used him much in this way because they don't haven't needed to. He's kind of just been a passing big on the perimeter. But if they get into a tough grind of that game and they need a bucket and they're not hitting shots from the perimeter, you could throw Marcus Gasol down to the post and he can get you a bucket. So... Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways Toronto can play in the playoffs, and their versatility is something I like. But as you mentioned, Kyle Lowry, he has to play at a high level if they're going to do anything in terms of a championship aspirations for this for this postseason. Now moving on to the, the best series, in my opinion, in the Eastern Conference. I might be a little biased as a Nets supporter here, but I, as we see, I don't think these matchups are too great in the Eastern Conference in the first round. But the Nets and the Sixers, close proximity for this matchup in Philadelphia and New York. 
right down the turnpike. You're familiar with that, Vinny, aren't you? Sure. Um, so I think it'll be a good series. I mean, you got Joel Embiid. This is the difference maker in the series. You're hearing some reports. Elton Brand, the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers, told reporters last night that Embiid might be out for the first game or so of the series. He's been out towards the end of the season dealing with some injuries. So if he misses time to start the season, the Nets can steal a game in Philly, come back home, probably take only one at home. But if they can go into a game five tied 2-2, this could be a long series. I think this is going to go six or seven games. I think Philadelphia ultimately in the end, they just have too much star power in the Nets. It's their first time in the playoffs. I think they'll fall short. But I think this is a series that could be a lot of fun. And I, I was at the game last night, as I mentioned, and Kenny Atkinson was talking about how it would be great to develop a natural rivalry with a team like Philadelphia that's so close. Um, so he, he's kind of playing into that. He, he likes that aspect of it. Kenny Atkinson's a competitive guy. Brett Brown, the coach of the Sixers, is as well. I think this has the potential to be a really fun series. You also have the storyline of D'Angelo Russell, Ben Simmons, having both went to Montverde for high school. Joel Embiid was there too, but a little bit of a different time frame. But a lot of storylines for this one. I think it's going to be a fun series. Yeah, I think it'll be huge if the Nets can pull off one of the first two. Obviously, you've seen the Nets a lot more than I have this year, but my little glimpses of them, the the just mojo and overall vibe of the team has been great, and it's something I'm not used to seeing. The, the Nets over the past few seasons, it seems like since they had those few playoff runs maybe five or ten years ago, it, it, it didn't seem like a fun team to play for, and this year I, I just feel like that vibe has been totally different. And I think I saw this on your your Twitter, something you, you retweeted, that Russell has made it cool for the Nets to, to play for the Nets. You know, it's a, it's a different – there have been a lot of good players on the Nets, especially in those early, like, 2 teams, the Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson teams. Those guys were good players. They were not necessarily cool players, though. Russell's a swaggy, cool player, and I could see that really attracting free agents in the offseason. But for this series right now, I do agree that Philly just, just has the horses for all-star level players. Joel Embiid, whether he's healthy, that'll definitely be something to watch. But I ultimately think this one goes five in the Sixers' direction. I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see more basketball in this area. Come on, Vinny. Don't say swaggy when uh, describing D'Angelo Russell. He's going to get flashbacks. And oh, make come it on. He's going to get some nightmares going. You're going you're gonna to break his psyche before the playoffs. Yeah, I think this series should be the best in the East. Um, Philly kind of doing what they did last year, holding Joel Embiid out until they need him, basically. And that first game leaves it open for Brooklyn with D'Angelo Russell, the best, one of the best closers in the game, maybe after James Harden this season. And when you talk about Philly's offense towards the end of the game, who's going to be taking the shots? Ben Simmons can't shoot. Is Jimmy Butler really the guy you want, or is it Tobias Harris, who seems more like a pure scorer? There's a lot of questions for Philly when you get to the end of the game, and I want to see how that works out because there's no questions for Brooklyn. We know what they're going to do, put the ball in Russell's hands. And... You don't want to take a ton from regular season matchups, but the Nets and Sixers did split at two apiece this year. All the games except for the final one were close. Um, they've matched up well, albeit the first game of the matchup, Jimmy Butler wasn't on the Sixers yet. The second and third games, Harris wasn't a Sixer yet. So a little bit of a different team, and it's going to be a different way for the Nets to match up with the Sixers. But we saw last year in the playoffs, Ben Simmons he struggled with the way the Celtics guarded him and the, they just didn't have a lot of offense options in offense the Sixers did because they were just sagging off him completely I mean teams are doing that more towards the regular season but I think when you get into matchup specific defensive game plans in the playoffs and you can really scout that I think Atkinson and the Nets can really make it difficult for Ben Simmons to be effective um, and I think that's where a guy like Jimmy Butler I think he's kind of taking a back seat throughout the regular season with the Sixers kind of getting 
used to everything and comfortable within the system. But I think in the playoffs, he's a guy that needs to uptick his play. He has to be their, their main perimeter option with Embiid dominating the interior because I think Simmons is going to have trouble, as I mentioned. Harris is going to be a great player. I love Tobias Harris, but he's more of an off-ball catch-and-shoot catch threat as a stretch big. He's not going to be handling the ball down the stretch of games. I think Jimmy Butler is huge for Philadelphia in this playoffs, and he's ultimately going to determine how far they go. Yeah, most playoff experience of any one of that, if you want to call it a big four, right now on Philly, by far the most playoff experience of those guys. And I agree with you say with, with what you say about Simmons. It's it's like, you know, if you can't shoot the ball and you're trying to be an elite X factor in, in maybe the second round of the playoffs, first, second round, I, I don't like guys who cannot knock down a jump shot when push comes to shove in big game moments. I don't care about his stats during the season. I think he's great in a lot of other elements. But to me, his inability to consistently knock down a jump shot is going to limit them going forward. Yeah, I agree completely. That, that's definitely an issue. But finally, before we wrap up this series, we are in New York. Let's just give a complete final thought on the Nets and their season. They jumped from 28 wins to 42 wins. That's a 14-win jump, a 50% win, win increase. Just really impressive what they've done this season, obviously led by D'Angelo Russell, some improved health, and uh, just development across the board. Every player on this team seems to have improved. They have this culture and core in place moving forward in the future. Some might say it's already a successful season. They make the playoffs. They probably don't have many expectations for the playoffs. Although D'Angelo Russell said last night he wants to get out of the first round. Good mindset to have. How realistic is that? We'll see. But I just think great season overall for these guys. Kenny Atkinson spoke about it last night. He didn't expect to be in this playoff hunt part of the season until maybe year four, year five in this regime. It's only year three, so he thinks they're way ahead of schedule. Just a really promising season for the Nets overall and moving forward. Yeah, man, they could get swept and not compete in any game whatsoever in this series, and it would still be a total success of a season overachieved. I mean, you were high on them. You've been high on them for a few years, but I had them toward the bottom of the East. I was not a believer at all. But, yeah, total – you know, they have the right guys in power positions on the team, from the GM position, point guard position, coach. You know, it, it seems like they're finally turning the corner and moving on from that horrific Boston trade that has haunted them for a while. Regardless of whether the Nets win a game in the playoffs, regardless of whether they get any superstar free agents, I think the Nets will be a playoff team for multiple years to come, at mm -hmm. least like half a decade. They're one of the youngest teams in the East. They're going to be together. They're going to re-sign D'Angelo Russell. He's an up-and-coming rising star. I, th there's a really bright future here, and they're way ahead of plan than I thought they'd be. And behind Denver and, I believe, Portland, the Nets are the third youngest team in the playoffs. So as you mentioned, they're poised for the future, and they'll definitely be back regardless of if they had the star, but the star is going to ultimately determine if they can get to that upper echelon of East teams. So the final series in the Eastern Conference is the Celtics and Pacers, the 4-5 matchup. The Celtics will have home court for that series. Kind of an up-and-down season for the Celtics. A lot of people thought they could approach 60 wins, be among the top teams in the conference. Only finished with 49 wins. A lot of controversy this season with Kyrie Irving. Gordon Hayward hasn't been the player he was before the injury. He's starting to peak a little bit towards the end of the season, but he's not the same player. Jason Tatum hasn't taken as big of a leap as people could have thought. So, I mean, the Celtics are a good team, and I think they're a team that's going to play better in the postseason when there's more on the line. But they just lost Marcus Smart for an injury now. <clears throat> Excuse me. They just lost Marcus Smart for an injury now, and that's a big loss because he's he's their top perimeter defender. He kind of brings that toughness for them, that, that identity that they have as a team. But Indiana's a team without Victor Oladipo. They've been kind of reeling towards the end of the season, and ultimately I think Boston's going to take care of this in probably six games or so. 
Yeah, I think it's all about focus for Boston. They've been dysfunctional for for most of the season. I've I've questioned Kyrie Irving's leadership of the team. He he hasn't seemed like he he's been all in on their plan. But I do think end of the day, Brad Stevens one of the best coaches in the league. But don't sleep on the Pacers. I mean, going seven games with LeBron last year surprised the heck out of me. And then with Oladipo going down, I thought, all right, season over. They're not even going to make the playoffs. And, yeah, they've been reeling a little bit. But to, to maintain that five spot, I see Indiana making this a competitive series. I do think in the end Boston just has too much talent and the better overall coach in the series. But I'm going to say this one goes seven. The Pacers surprise them early, but Boston is able to close it out in the end. Yeah, I'm having a real tough time with this series. Boston should win, but it's kind of reminding me of when the Celtics played the Bucks last year. The Bucks were way more talented, but they had terrible coaching, and Boston, everyone knew what their role is on the team. That's what I see when I look at Indiana. Everyone knows what their role is. On Boston, you got guys who want shots like Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. You don't have enough shots for those guys, and the leadership is up in the air. Brad Stevens hasn't been the coach that we thought he was. I want to pick Boston, but Indiana's looming, and I don't know what to you know really make of that. Yeah, I, I think we all agree, though, that the, the top four seeds are all going to hold court and probably advance to the second round of the playoffs. Uh, what, what would you say is the best, the series that you think could be the biggest upset, I guess, in the Eastern Conference? Could, could Indiana pull it out? Could Brooklyn pull it out over the, the Celtics and Sixers? To me, I'll go Pacers, Pacers over Celtics. I think that's the closest one, followed by Net Sixers, but I don't see any of these being an upset, but Pacers, the, the closest chance. Yeah, it's definitely between Pacers, Brooklyn. I think once Philly gets a little nervous, if there is, like, they're tied 2-2, they bring Embiid back, I think that series is over. So if I had to pick an upset, it would be the Pacers. Now let's move on to the Western Conference, and... We're all too familiar with the Golden State Warriors being the number one seed in the Western Conference. Last year, they actually weren't. The Rockets got it, and they had a great playoff series against them, pushed it to the brink. Chris Paul obviously was injured. I think that was the Rockets' chance. They now have slipped to four this season, do not have home court, have a tough matchup with the Jazz, would play the Warriors in the second round, and then either the Nuggets, Blazers, Thunder, or or Spurs. So they would have a tough path getting getting to the finals this season, but we got the Warriors, the one seed, playing the Los Angeles Clippers, the surprising Clippers, 48-34 and 34 this season. When when you think about who's the best player on that team, Lou Williams is the best scorer, but then they have a collection of talent. It's Danilo Gallinari, Montrez Harrell, you got Shai Gildas-Alexander, you got all these different guys that not, aren't necessarily big names. They traded their best player into Pius Harris. At the, at the trade deadline, they still win 48 games, so this is going to be a weird series. I mean, I think people are going to underrate the Clippers just because of the names that they have, and it's obviously against the Warriors. But think about a guy like Patrick Beverly. He loves going at Steph Curry, and he's going to make that difficult for him. So I think we'll see a competitive series. I think most games will be competitive throughout. But I, I, I just think the Warriors, their talent's too overwhelming, especially with the way DeMarcus Cousins has been playing, to go more than maybe five games. Yeah, Clippers are scrappy, and they've overachieved. I think Doc Rivers deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with this team, even though it looked like they were in rebuild mode where they when they moved Harris and they just kept on winning. But overall, I think the Warriors are just too talented. There are multiple alphas on that team who are just used to doing it, and we knew it was going to be like this with the Warriors, just sort of coast through the regular season, and now, okay, it's time to show everybody what DeMarcus Cousins can do in addition to this already loaded championship team. So I think it's a sweep for the Dubs. 
Yeah, when I saw the playoff matchups come out, I really wanted the Clippers to be playing Houston. There's a lot of bad, Beverly, bad blood yeah. there. Yeah, Beverly, in a clip last night when uh, the Clippers were playing the Jazz, he was literally coaching Jay Crowder how to guard James I saw Harden. That. <laughs> they don't like each other. Yep. So, I mean, Patrick Beverly would make it hard for Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, but at the end of the day... The Clippers don't have an All Star, and the Warriors have five. So that's a good, that's a great point. To simplify it, it's five All Stars to one, uh, to none. It's going to make it really difficult for the Clippers this series. Second, you got the Nuggets, the surprise Nuggets this season, fifty four and twenty eight. They held on for that second seed. They're playing the the savvy Spurs at the seven seed, forty eight and thirty four. I mean, this is a series. They're only separated by six games in the regular season. The Spurs didn't get talked about a lot this season, but they just keep grinding it out. DeMar DeRozan, he came in fitting seamlessly. LaMarcus Aldridge, another all-star season. They have a few other pieces there that make them a difficult team to play. I find this fascinating this year. I think this could be an upset, possibly, because you got Greg Popovich, and we know he's the best coach in the league, going up against a young team, a team that really hasn't had the expectations that the Nuggets have this season. Mike Malone, he's never won a championship, although I do think he's a very good coach. They're, they're going up against each other, and I think the Spurs could make things difficult for the Nuggets. The one thing I worry about is the altitude, having to go play in Denver if you're San Antonio. They are a slower-paced team, so I don't think it will necessarily kill them, but that's always a home court advantage when you're Denver. I think Denver's going to win this one, but I think it's going to go seven games. Here's my first upset pick right here. I think I've been sleeping on the Nuggets the whole year. I haven't watched them enough to really have that perspective but I, I just it's more my belief in the Spurs than it is doubting the Nuggets but I think it's a perfect matchup for the Spurs as far as DeRozan coming in he's got something to prove I think he still feels disrespected from being traded last year Pop obviously has done it all before Aldridge very solid in his last few years on the team and I think the Spurs really take it to these young Nuggets that haven't really been in this position thus far I'm not gonna say the Spurs are gonna win but I will say this series goes seven Every home t- I my prediction is that every home team wins each game and then the Nuggets end up winning because of they have home court advantage. These are the only two teams in the Western Conference who have losing records when they're away. They're phenomenal at home. The Nuggets 34 and 7 at home. The Spurs 32 and 9. I think both those teams will win every home game but then game 7 when it's in Denver. They take care of business. You brought the stats today. I mean, that's a great observation. Spurs just 16 and 25 on the road, by far the worst of any of the West playoff teams. And as we mentioned, Denver's a tough place to play. So that's definitely something to look out for in this series. Good good, good, good call there, Pete. I like that. So now we got the 3-6 matchup, the Trailblazers and the Thunder. I think you can reverse the seeds here, and people would say, okay, the Thunder a better team. Thunder were 4-0, actually, against the Blazers this season in the regular season. I'm going with the Thunder here. I think this is the easiest upset pick. I, I think star power wins in the playoffs, and as much as... Lillard's a great player. McCollum's a very good player. I think Paul George and Russell Westbrook are just going to be too much for them. Steven Adams is a great player inside. And the improved depth that Oklahoma City has this year with Nerlens Noel off the bench, Dennis Schroeder, they have a much better collection of talent that they could really kind of go more than just six or seven deep. They can go eight to nine deep. Um, And I think that's going to be beneficial for them in this playoffs. Also, not having Yusuf Nurkic for Portland, that's going to hurt them, although Enos Cantor could step in rather nicely. Um, but I think the Thunder take this one in, in, I'd say, six games, maybe seven. I think six games bring it back to Oklahoma City and finishing it there. It's just such bad luck for the Blazers. You mentioned Nurkic going out. Obviously that 
but then also to get the three seed, which is a respectable seed, and then have to play of any of the bottom four teams, OKC, which I think is the best of that group, objectively. You can make the case maybe for the Jazz, but it's just it's just a bad matchup for them. As you said, 0-4 against them on the season. And, you know, the only thing I'll say about the Blazers, they definitely have something to prove after a disappointment last year, but so does OKC. You know, losing to the Jazz in that first round last year was was – heartbreak for them so it's two teams with a lot to prove a lot on the line that that are disrespected a lot in you look at Westbrook and Lillard I think there are a lot of comparisons there with just maybe not so so much play style but just being point guards in the league that are a bit overlooked and disrespected I agree with you that I think the Thunder get the best of the Blazers but I think this one goes seven and the star power for the Thunder being the difference maker uh I am not as high on the OKC as you guys are. I think Portland, both these teams got eliminated in the first round last year, so both of them have a little bit of a redemption story going into this. Only four games separates them in record. I just think Damian Lillard needs this so badly. I think he was, is. we talked about Kyle Lowry being most overrated. I think Dame might be most underrated. I think he might be the second best point guard in the league at this current point. And I think, I mean, Ennis Cantor might forget which team he's playing for. He loves the Thunder so much. But I really think Portland's going to take this one. OKC has been really bad down the stretch. We were talking about Paul George, middle of the season. He was playing out of his mind. Maybe he's an MVP candidate. That campaign has definitely soured. Uh, Russell Westbrook, I worry about him in tight games, maybe shooting them out of the game. So I'm really interested to see what will happen. But I'm going to take the Trailblazers in this one. Both teams coming in playing well towards the end of the season. The Blazers finished 8-2 and over their last 10, coming in with a three-game winning streak. Thunder 7-3 and on a five-game winning streak after struggling for much of the prior weeks before that. Two other teams that are playing really well down the stretch both finished 8-2 and in their final 10. The Rockets and Jazz in that 4-5 matchup. And tough draw for Utah. I mean, these two teams played in the playoffs last year. Utah was competitive, but Houston ultimately advanced. I think Houston's the second-best team in the Western Conference, and they're a four-seed now. Uh, I, I think James Harden, Chris Paul, they're going to rise their level, raise their level of play for this series. I think this is five, six games maybe, um, but I think the Rockets easily move on in this one. Yeah, I love the Jazz, but I think the Rockets are just too much. I agree with what you said about the Rockets. Harden, man on a mission right here. He's my MVP, even though a lot of people would, would, would give it to Giannis at this point, but just what he's doing, scoring the ball – I don't think there's anyone on Utah that can stop that. And as much as I think Utah, great role play from a lot of guys on that team, there's no one as good as James Harden on Utah. I think this one goes five in the Rockets' favor. I'll disagree again. I think this close this series is closer than you guys think. Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Donovan Mitchell isn't on the same level, but he's still an all-star. He's still a player to be respected. He really rises for the big moments. Clint Capella, Rudy Gobert, I give advantage Jazz on that one. I don't think – Capella's as skilled. I think the X factor in the series is Chris Ball. How healthy is he? Is he still an elite point guard? If he is, then Houston will definitely win. If not, I think the series will be tight. And I, this is whenever someone plays James Harden in the playoffs, it's always interesting to me because, as I mentioned, you're going to have more specific game planning for a player. And he probably has, he's the hardest guard in the league, probably. He has the most gimmicky offense. I don't mean to say that in a negative way, but just kind of a real distinct style that you're not used to playing. Um, I, I wonder what might be the best way for the Jazz to defend James Harden. I think maybe you put Donovan Mitchell on him, try and force everything right, every single thing right, try and trap ball screens so that he's not coming around them or coming around for a quick th- quick three around the screen. 
Uh, I think you maybe even play a little bit of zone so you can keep Gobert right in the middle of the paint so when James Harden drives, he, he's got to face the stifle tower. Um, uh, he's a tough guard, but as you mentioned, Chris Paul, he's going to ultimately be the difference maker throughout this playoff run for Houston because James Harden, he's going to bring it. He's going to be a superstar. Chris Paul, if he could play at that similar level and they got those two guys cooking and two decision makers with the ball in their hands the entire game making the right plays, I mean, they're a very tough team to beat. And then P.J. Tucker, if he's hitting his threes, along with Capella you have there, and then you got whoever they throw into that, 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 that five-man mix, Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, whoever. If they're hitting those threes, the other guys, I mean, that, that, that's when the Rockets are impossible to beat, and you, they could play with anyone, including Golden State. Yeah, so tough to scheme for these guys. I'm used to watching college basketball over the last few weeks, and if a player's on fire, you throw a double team at him, and there's most likely someone who can't knock down a wide-open mm-hmm. three. The Rockets, you're not going to have that issue. As you just mentioned, so many shooters on the team – you throw a double at Harden, there's somebody wide open for a three. You, you just can't do it. So so I, I don't know how they're going to guard him. No one's really figured it out up to this point throughout his career, but they, they got to try different things. And I think if there's anyone up to the task, it's it's Quinn Schneider. But to me, just too, too tall a task for him. I, I the feel, only, uh, sorry. I'll, just, I'll just throw on the only thing that seems to stifle James Harden's offense is the playoffs. So <laughs> I'll leave that in there. I feel like – Personally, it's going to take a coach to just be super bold. I'm not sure if this would happen in the playoffs, but just be super bold and say, especially during that streak where he was scoring 50 points every night, just literally say, I'm not going to let him score 50 points. I'm going to double him every time. Let's force P.J. Tucker to take almost every shot, and let's see him score 30. How? I mean, I just don't think a guy of P.J. Tucker's caliber, very good player, great defensive player, would score 30 points or even be comfortable taking that many shots. I would almost leave him open. I mean, we saw this Rockets team miss how many threes in that game seven against the Warriors? That's last true. Year? Well, they're going to live and die by the three. So, you know. Well, that covers every single matchup, pretty sure, right? Anything else stand out? Final thoughts? Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the Kings fans who uh, ownership today let Vladdy Divek win a power struggle. So that's, that's the guy with all the mojo in uh, Sacramento. He's not the guy I would put in charge. Dave Yeager basically made De'Aaron Fox into the best young point guard of the league. Um, but they fired him. So. D'Angelo Russell. Oh well, D'Angelo too. But <laughs> but De'Aaron's like really young. He's like twenty or something. He's got a. I think he's got a year or two younger than D'Angelo. But yeah, they're they're the next wave. Them and Trey Young. That that's a good trio of point Doncic, guards. Doncic. If future. you want to call him a point guard, Doncic. Real. I big. mean, he can he can play that position definitely. Yeah. Well, that about does it. But Kings fans, I mean, as you mentioned. 39 and 43. That's by far their best season in, in years. Since 2005. Great progression that they had this year. All their young players seem to improve. And you mentioned with the Nets that they seem to have a fun vibe. The Kings were that this year. Mm. If you watch them, they were playing high octane, really fast. A lot of smiles on those faces. Marvin Bagley played pretty well towards the end of the season once he got healthy. I just don't know what the Kings are doing here. Maybe a power trip, as you mentioned. But Dave Yeager, he was a little tough on the players, but I think that was working. And I think you got to give him another year of that and see how they can continue to progress, maybe add some more veterans in free agency. But definitely not the right move, I don't think, if you're Sacramento to, to let go of your coach after a season like this. Any it's, final thoughts, Vinny? Yeah, it's tough in the West, man. To, to get that nine spot in, in a competitive West. Look, the East has gotten better, but I still think the West is a superior conference down low there. Um, I think good things in the Kings' future. They got a good young nucleus there, so I could see them being successful. But like I said, tough in the West. And as far as first-round playoff match- matchups go, I think the West is is the one to watch, at least for the first round. Second round, I might switch that up, but I think the Western Conference will have the more competitive series first round. Well, that does it for our NBA playoff edition of Pick and Pod. 
thank you for joining us. For Vinny DeBellis, Pete Hudek, and Billy Reinhart, have a good day, everybody. <laughs>